Welcome to this topical life. Real conversation, real exploration, real life stories. A discussion about life, cause life ain't a vacation. And now, here's your host, Tiffany Murphy. Hi, and welcome to this topical life. I am here with Melody Onderud. Onderud. And um, I just learned how to say her last name, so <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, Melody and I met, um, gosh, uh, at least three years ago. Was it three years ago? Mm-hmm. Okay, three years ago, it was it was actually Christmas Eve. Yeah. Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's right. And you, I just have to say, I was re- just in a really hard place at that time because... My husband was working um, like an insane amount of hours, mm-hmm. insane. And I'm sitting mm-hmm. here taking kids to the park like on Christmas Eve, feeling so depressed. And I come upon this woman who is cheerfully throwing a ball to, I guess it was probably Teague at the time, maybe. And then little Junie was so little. <laughs> and you were just so happy. You know, you were so sweet and just like totally like in a good spirit, you know. And I was kind of feeling frumpy and sorry for myself. So talking to you that day really like, I was like, oh, she's really cool. Like, and we're both here Christmas Eve, like kind of, <laughs> kind of a weird deal. Yeah, but, you bet. Yeah. Live in the moment, right? <laughs> yeah, there's just a, a moment in time. And, um, and so, uh, let's see, we, I guess we exchanged numbers and then, um, mm-hmm. you know, you have four, you, well, now at that time you had five kids, still have five kids. Four kids. Kids. Oh, it was four kids. Mm-hmm. Really? Yep. Mm-hmm. Wait, you have five though, total. No, I have four kids. It's four? <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. See, now I'm just learning how many kids she actually has. Okay, yeah, because it's Irik, Joran, Teague, and, and Juniper. Juniper. Okay, mm-hmm. right. Okay, so we'll get back to that in a minute. But, you know, today, you know, at, through getting to know her in the little time I've had, I know that um, what I found, like, we're going to talk about her story and her testimony of just life and where it's um, her growing up Mormonism her faith, and then now coming out of that and what all that looks like. And it's, it's, it's a very deep, deep subject. And I'm just so honored that you would come and just like share your heart about it. Thank you. I know a Mm -hmm. lot of people around this United States of America and beyond struggle with this very thing, not just Mormonism, but just like their faith. Like, mm-hmm. why, what, when, where, and how. That's right. And the crisis that can come mm-hmm. through um, wondering and mm-hmm. deciding a different path and just all those kind of things. Um, but before we get all into that, um, just a brief, like, um, like synopsis of, you know, let's talk about, like, where, where you grew up and how um, maybe some relationships you had. Um, just a little bit of melody story, you uh, bet. pre, you know, preemptive to your faith and just how that all got kind of transpired. Yeah. Let me jump right in. Okay. With you my, jump with my right story. in. Okay. So, okay. <clears throat> so cool. I was, I was born in Colorado. Um, my parents are Mormon and grew up Mormon and their parents were Mormon and their parents were Mormon. <laughs> right. We have a, a deep Mormon story. In fact, I have genealogy, genealogy is a huge thing in Mormonism. And I can trace my family line back like 12 generations on some of the lines. Are you serious? I have a family tree that's been really researched because it's a big deal for Mormons. So uh, my ancestors in England all joined the church in England and then immigrated to America so that they could live Mormonism. And then Nauvoo was where a lot of the Mormons uh, joined up in America and so you go to Nauvoo now, and it's a historic place, and you can go to the historic registry landmark place, and it'll they'll tell you, um, you put your name in, and it'll tell me how many people I'm related to that lived in Nauvoo at the time. Really? <laughs> it's a huge number. I don't remember exactly how many, but I'm related to half of Nauvoo. <laughs> oh, my God. So my ancestors were very integral in starting Mormonism, and they crossed the plains and settled in Utah, and then, you know, Brigham Young was the prophet in Salt Lake in the early Mormon days in the 1800s, and he sent out 
the saints that would come across the plains, and he would say, you go to Escalante and settle Escalante in southern Utah. So that whole area is settled by my Porter ancestors. And then Immigration Canyon is my Allen ancestors. And then it's, I have some people that went down to the Muddy, which was a, a community started in um, south of Utah, just a flat, muddy, barren place. <laughs> so the Mormon story is deep. Um, I grew up loving being Mormon and feeling so much pride and so much strength from it, feeling like as a people we had been persecuted, but we are loving and cheerful and kind and we give and we work really hard and our our whole intent in life is to be good Christian people that help the world be better, you know? So that's how I grew up. I felt like... Wait, how many siblings did you have? I was the oldest of six. Oldest of six. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Got it. Okay. Grew up in Colorado. Um, did all the Mormon stuff, like young women's, uh, girls camp, EFY, um, youth conferences. All these things are like camps, like Christian camps, I guess, that you would go to. And you share your testimony. You have these great experiences where you go on hikes and you learn about, like... Our journey through life and how we can come back and live with Heavenly Father again if we make the right choices. We fo- if we follow the plan of happiness, then you'll receive exaltation okay. through the Mormon plan, you know? <laughs> yeah, and exaltation is like <clears throat> when you die. And... Yes, so Mormons believe that there's three degrees of glory in heaven. Okay. Terrestrial, celestial, celestial. And the celestial kingdom has degrees as well. And the more obedient you are and the more you really give your life to Christ and your will to God then the more he will reward you and the closer you can you can have your calling and election made sure and be go, go straight to the celestial kingdom if you follow all the ordinances and all of the all the promises that we make with God so then we we go to the temple we get baptized when we're eight okay. and then boys receive the priesthood at 12 and then you get married in the temple and you make a covenant in the temple to be with your spouse through all eternity. Okay. And then your kids are sealed to you if you're married in the temple. They're born into the covenant, so they're sealed to you as an eternal family. And then you, then Mormons believe that that is, you hold true to those covenants made in the temple, and then you'll be, have those rewards. You'll get those rewards in heaven, the exaltation, and you'll live as a family eternally. Okay. So it's it's hinged on all these requirements you do this 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 and to get into the temple you have to f- you have to pass a temple recommend interview with your state president and your bishop wow. and the interview has lots of questions and lots of them the, some of the questions are do you believe in Joseph Smith do you affiliate with anyone that's not a Mormon based group it might be contrary to Mormonism do you um, do you ever smoke tobacco or drink coffee or or have any alcohol you need those questions if you have to if you say yes will keep you out of the temple. Um, anything that's like, all sexuality has to be within your, your marriage relationship. So these questions are asked, and if you can't answer honestly, like, are you a full tithe payer? Are you honest in all your dealings with your fellow men? Then you can't go in the temple. Okay. So it keeps people really in line. It keeps people really um, striving to be perfect, you know. And there's... And so it's a beautiful way to live in so many ways because there's a formula. Right. You know, it's this prescription. You do this and you, you'll have this, this happiness. Right. And so most of my life I bought into it so, so just completely. Like this is the way. It has to work. As everyone has told me this has to work. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and again and again I saw friends where the formula wasn't working. How young were you when you saw that? It took me a long time to say that's not just an anomaly. That's not that I would always be able to say that's that's God working in His own way, right? You know, like try not to judge, but also like right, like that's yeah, an anomaly. I yeah, would always totally. say faith first. God has His ways, right? And okay. that's not working because of something I don't understand. It's just plan of happiness is there. I need to trust it. I need to trust God. Okay. So I grew up like that. Um, I went to Colorado State University for my first year of college. Um, <clears throat> I had two very interesting boyfriends there, which we can talk about later if it comes up. Well, one was the first 
He was the black first, guy. his father was the first black man to receive the priesthood. The first? In the Mormon church. Black, I mean, that, that's yeah. pretty crazy. Right? It is. It's very. His father was the first one to re- receive, <clears throat> he was the first black man to receive priesthood. And, okay. So in the 1970s, Spencer W. Campbell was the prophet, and he was, he was continually asked by members of the church, please, why can't, can't black people have the priesthood? It doesn't make any sense. And that was in and the 70s. It was in the 70s. Wow. I know, right? That's pretty late. It's very late. Like, really late. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Astonishingly <laughs> like, late, yeah. right? Yeah, I'm like, so I'm from, just processing that as you say it. Right. Yeah. So my whole life, I kind of thought, I can't believe that just happened right before I was born. Like, So Spencer W. Kimball went to the temple, and he prayed about it, and he was given the revelation that black people should have the priesthood, that it really was a human error, or it was... I don't know exactly what it was said. Um, I don't know how he phrased it, but that the church wasn't ready for it. The people of the church weren't ready for it, but this is God's will. Now they're ready. Got it. So. Is he famous then? Spencer W. Kimball? Yeah. Yeah, for that. Um, Well, no, no, no. The guy, the. Oh, my my boyfriend's dad? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Joseph Freeman. Joseph Freeman? Yeah. Okay. Some people say he was the second. He claims he was the first. I don't know for sure. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's one of two, I guess, if that was the case at the time. Okay. So, yeah. Right. So, you dated yeah. him and then... And so, I thought of myself as a really progressive Mormon. Like, I, I'm not racist a bit like early Mormons were. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. really... I would never think of being racist. I I, I think that's ridiculous, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and it didn't even occur to me to worry what my parents might think meeting the, a black boyfriend that I had, you know? Yeah, right. Um, and later I learned that it was a little concerning to my dad, but he's, he would never have said that. I think he would, but to know that that wasn't like just an easy thing for him actually kind of surprised me. Yeah. But. A little staying there. Definitely. Yeah. Like, okay, there is still remnants of racism, even in my dad that I didn't, I wouldn't have expected. Right. Because of how we were raised, how, how it's just ingrained in like early Mormon doctrine. If more, if blacks can't have the priesthood, why? Right. Yeah. Are they so, and then it inferior com- or then something? Truth, then truth comes to be told when it actually happens to you. Yeah. Your daughter is starting to, yeah. and then it's like, okay, then the rubber meets the road kind of thing. Right. How do and you really what, feel? And that's yeah. the first, that's one of the first notches you were like, ah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just feel, it yeah. makes me feel icky. Okay. Yep. Exactly. So, and then I, I went, my parents actually moved to Utah. So they grew up in Utah. We all moved to Colorado and my dad had a job transfer when I was a baby. And so they decided to move back to be by their family and their aging parents. And I was still at Colorado State University and my Pell Grant ran out (laughs) and didn't have a scholarship anymore. And so I moved in with my parents in Utah and ended up going to UVU, Utah Valley University, which was UVSC at the time, because it was really cheap, and I got in-state tuition, and I didn't, I was near my family and could live at home, and so it just worked out due to do that, and then I, sometimes I think about, if I was, I mean, we're <clears> still <throat> going to be paying on our student loans, it could be, go, <laughs> go be Mormon for a little, you know, or like, yeah, anyway. Yeah, well, you didn't have to be Mormon to go to UVSC. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Oh, okay, and so it was an easy um, answer for me, in a way, um, to go there, but I had a boyfriend there who was gay, mm-hmm. didn't know that. So that was probably one of my second notches. Oh, wait, he was your boyfriend, but he didn't know he was gay? Um, he was Mormon, and he had a twin brother who was gay. Okay. And so he told me he wasn't gay. He said, I'm one of those lucky people who are attracted to both sexes. Okay. And he was wonderful, and we had so much in common. We were just the best friends. Yeah. And then we kissed once, and we were like, I was like, that's really weird. Oh, wow. That's like kissing my brother in a weird way. <laughs> and I totally love you, but this is not sexual. This right. is not going anywhere. This is not, this is not, the flames aren't firing. Right. Okay. Um, but I really just couldn't believe knowing him, knowing he had a twin brother who was gay, and knowing that he had those gay feelings as well, couldn't believe that he was wrong. Right. Because the Mormon church said that gay people need to not be gay. Yeah. <laughs> that it's your cross to bear that you're supposed to um, 
rely on God to find your value in, in life. I just thought it was like a ridiculous cross to bear. Yeah. And I saw that he was a good, good person. And I loved him. Mm-hmm. And to see his agony over it. Like he was trying so hard to be straight. Mm-hmm. And later he went and got married to a girl and it didn't work out. And now I see him on Instagram and he's definitely gay. Okay. Yeah, so he's come out and happy. Yeah, oh, that's good. Have you guys reconnected? Not not specifically, but we yeah. will someday. Yeah, he's totally. He's a good friend. But, so that was maybe a second notch for me was like, like the, the racism thing and then the gay thing. Like they just, they started just really adding up those things. Those things got to me. Those anomaly, not <clears throat> anomaly things. Right. Yeah. Right. So, <clears throat> so after I had done as much of my schooling at UVSC as I could, I really wanted to get an interior design degree, which I had started at CSU, and BYU had a good interior design program. I did not want to go to BYU because of the Mormon stigma, and I just didn't feel like I was like that so did Mormon you at this that... point feel like an outsider? No, but I felt like I didn't fit the mold of like the typical BYU student. Oh, okay. And I felt like I don't want to. I felt like I was more progressive or like a little bit more fringy, I guess. Okay, got it. And you can have and that in Mormonism. I guess. Like I didn't go on a mission, but I I was like a serious covenant keeper. I didn't break any rules or anything, but I didn't want to be like, I don't know how to explain it really, but like fit the right you molly see, mormon mold kind you, of thing you know the first thing i, I think I, I see you i think free spirit completely sure yeah you're a you're an like i would like even hearing you being like duh, 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 you know but the only thing that would make sense is that you'd be you being a firstborn sure Firstborns yeah. have that like yeah but i don't think you're kind of yeah i mean just even knowing your personality from what i know like you're super artsy I wouldn't, you wouldn't color in the lines. You say whatever. That's kind of the vibe I get, you know? So, yeah. okay, so. Yeah, definitely it's been a balance between those two things my whole life. Like, okay. I believe all this stuff. It's hard for me to fit in those, in that box, but I, I feel like I should, you know? Yeah. So doing my best. But going to BYU was like a big stretch for me. Like, okay, I'll go because I want that degree. I'm not going to like hang out down in the, in the main comments with all the other BYU students. I'm going to stay in the, in the interior design building and like with my people that are, <laughs> artsy yeah. and stuff and so I actually had a good time um with those artistic people made some really wonderful friends and stuff graduated from there and then got a job doing interior design um got to travel and stuff um designing stores and then I was just so frustrated that relationship after relationship were not working out at BYU I just kept finding people that um it just wasn't wasn't working and right. There was a couple boys that I got really, really close to marrying, and two of them, both both of them, um, ended up having such serious problems with pornography mm. that they, they later ruined their marriages that they didn't, the girls they did end up marrying. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, Which, so pornography yeah. was a really other big sticking point for me. Yeah. Because... I saw so many men, boys that, you know, I dated that I really cared for so deeply, and they were struggling so much with their sexuality. Pornography was such a draw that it was making them secretive and full of shame and guilt. And then their relationships were skewed in their sexual lives, you know? Because in Mormonism, you don't have sex till you're married. And if you do, you can't go on a mission. You can't go in the temple. You can't, um, you're not worthy. Yeah, to, to take the sacrament or anything. So uh, you feel like worse, a worse. Shit. <laughs> you're going to be like in hiding, basically. Right. You're going to tell about that if you're <clears throat> doing that. And exactly. It makes me want to go hide just even. <laughs> just like, oh, God. The things yeah. I would have had to hide for. Jeez. Yeah. Okay, yeah so. and, and you have to confess anytime you even get close to having sex to oh. your bishop. Oh, yeah. You so know? That's, that's too. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of shame. And um, I felt like I felt like porn was bad, but I didn't feel like it should it should destroy relationships like this. Mm-hmm. And I did didn't or at least your relationship with God, even right or your faith, right? Like forgiveness, and you know, right? Yeah, I didn't feel like it should be such 
a moral like offense that you're done and you have to hide and you're like forever banished sort of thing. Yeah. And I still am trying to figure out my relationship with how I feel about people who look at porn and how porn affects my life or, you know, that's all still something I'm mm-hmm. encountering yeah, <laughs> as, right. a, as a topic. <laughs> but so that was a sticking point for me is having that be such a painful issue for so many people. So then I, um, so these boys were showing <clears throat> that mm-hmm. and you're just kind of stuck with that a little bit. And then, and then I met my husband. Okay. Um, oh. yeah, Paul, Paul, wonderful Paul. So, um, I actually had pretty... Didn't he, like, chase you down, basically? (laughs) Wasn't he, like, you, you and me? (laughs) He he tells that story that way, yeah, he does. Yeah, you told me. I think, I want to say you said that. Like, I think I had asked, like, when you had, like, how did you guys meet? And you were, like, didn't he, like, ask for your number the same day he met you, right? He did, yeah. So we actually met at Word Prayer. But let me back up a touch. Because... So We're running out of time. Anyway, <laughs> we, hurry. we don't have to hurry. We we can um, pause this and come again too. Okay, a different time. Okay, if you want. So I was sitting in my little tiny kitchen of this antique, like two <laughs> hundred year old house. It was a polygamist house. And I was sitting in this little tiny kitchen with a little roof and a little round window, and I was just praying and praying, like, why am I having all these relationships that fail, fail, fail? And am I ever going to get married? You know, I've been graduated from college for a couple of years now. I'd really love to start a family and be like a Mormon mom and stuff. And I just prayed my heart out. And I had always dated guys who were like these edgy, like dark, tall, handsome motorcycle guys that were artsy and like super philosophical and stuff. That was the guy I always wanted. Right. So I had had a string of these kinds of boyfriends and like moody and artistic and stuff. And all of a sudden, after I said this prayer, I had this vision, not of what he looked like, but this guy who was like this baseball player, fisherman, like backyard barbecue guy who likes dogs and kids. And he's blonde. <laughs> oh. And I was like, yeah. that is not it, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not the guy. Because I had never imagined that kind of guy for me before. Yeah. But having this like planted on me so abruptly after my praying made me just really shocked and I thought well wow okay I guess I'll give that room to play you know yeah so it was a few weeks later really shortly after that that I met Paul and I actually walked into ward prayer which is where people in singles wards in BYU in Provo meet on Sunday nights to have like a prayer and like hang out and have a treat and go home and so I walked in. It was really crowded. And I looked around the room and thought, I'll sit by that cute guy. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. I squoze in, like, into the crowded room and sat by him. Okay. And he immediately asked for my phone number, wanted me to come decorate his room. Because he's like, oh, you're a interior designer, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, that's a great line. Yeah. Anyway. Good in right there. <laughs> interior. <Yeah>. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So we, we um, he, he came over after church the next week. And sat in my kitchen with me, and he's like, I like baseball, I like fishing, I like barbecuing, I want to get a big dog. I was like, shut up! (laughs) And the spirit hit me, and I was like, damn it, this is the man I have to marry. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is so So, cool. So so for me, it was like God told me, I have to marry this man. I had no doubts. Correct. God, I believed, I was taught my whole life God would speak to me and tell me what things I need to know. I'd had experiences where... God had intervened and changed my course of action mm-hmm. drastically. And I felt like this was one of those moments. And and God came through, and here's the guy. Yeah. So I went about chasing him, making sure he would marry me. Right. So a year yeah. later, we're married, you know? Oh, my goodness. I love it. <laughs> so then he wanted to go to med school. So we moved to Missouri and started med school. And we had a baby. We had we moved to Michigan. We had three more babies. Babies, babies, babies. Babies and, and a big in. dog. Okay, exactly. <laughs> a big dog. Yep. <clears throat> and then we, and then while I was in Michigan, I got called to be Relief Society president. Okay. That's Relief Society president. Relief Society <laughs> president. And what is involved with that? So it is in the Mormon church, the women's organization. Okay. And the women meet weekly at church for an hour. And then they we meet typically 
kind of changed while I was in my presidency how often we would meet. Um, but I was used to meeting every week for an hour, an hour and a half every once a week during the weeknights for like a get together or something. But it changed and we started meeting once a month or something or even less if we wanted to. So we got to be in charge of how often. But we would do service projects and we would just discuss topics of interest, you know, make things together or stuff like that. It used to be called homemaking in the early days. Okay. So and then you, that got an uproar from the feminists. And so there's, it wasn't homemaking, it's enrichment. Right. And then that changed when I was in, now it's just Relief Society meetings. Okay, back up here. <laughs> relief. Relief. It's just like, I'm so tired of being a mom, I'm going to get relief? No, actually, absolutely like, opposite. Word? So in the early days of the Mormon church in Salt Lake, the women got together to provide relief for the saints who were coming in who were destitute and poor. And the poverty was okay. huge. There was a lot of need in early Salt Lake because it was a desert. Got it. And so these saints were just trying to, like, survive and make it and, like, build a, a community. And so the Relief Society would get together and they do all kinds of projects. They, the early women would – they started nurses, nursing um, programs okay. so they could improve how many – the medical care in Salt Lake. They built – they had huge um, – programs for storing food. Oh. They stored so much wheat that during the Great Depression, they sold the wheat to the government. Wow. To help feed people. Well, thank God for that. Yeah. They they did amazing things in the early days of the church. So I was Inspired Relief Society that. president when a book came out talking about, it's called Daughters of Our Kingdom, Daughters of My Kingdom, Daughters of the Kingdom. Um, and it's a story of the early Relief Society. So that's what I preached, was like what this organization is, what it can be, how it can be greater than it is, how we can do more to help the world. Yeah. I had this great vision for like women coming together and like being amazing, you know? Yeah, which is a – And we had huge success. And we had people coming out that hadn't come to church forever. And we were doing all these fun events. We did a play. We did like service things. We did all kinds of stuff. And we had – really some great unity. We felt, I felt like it was successful. And it, I started to get worn down because I was giving a lot. I had three kids and I was pregnant and I was about to move and I was feeling super stressed about moving. And I was, um, uh, Paul and I were just having stress too. Oh, of course. Right. Yes. In general. Like we he all was have ups and downs <laughs> and all arounds. Yes. yes. Very familiar with that. Yeah. Well, yeah. he was in residency. Okay. And residency was tough. He was of gone a ton. And he was working with a lot of people who were not Mormon. Mm -hmm. And so he's going on trips where everyone was drinking and it was just a lot of pressures that were kind of pressing a lot on my Mormon safety net, you know, my faith. Mm -hmm. And I was seeing yeah. him tr make choices that I felt were wrong, detrimental to our, our safety, right, <laughs> our Mormon yeah. safety, you know? Absolutely, yeah. So it was stressing me out. And I was like in this really, you know, really in this Mormon calling, like trying to do everything perfect, read my scriptures, do what's right every day, you know, yeah. be the perfect mom. And I got starting to get worn down. And I, I decided it was time for me to ask to be released so I could focus on the move and the pregnancy. And and so I called the bishop and said, I'd like to be released. And that's kind of a thing you don't do as a Mormon because you serve if you're asked. Right. Or like you're now it's a sin if you're not kind of type. I feel like looked down upon. it's always been looked down upon. Like you always accept a calling from the bishop. It's God's will. So he should know when you need to be released because God will tell him. So don't you find it confusing? Like, this is where I think things get complicated with God and Jesus is that people use those kinds of things and you intimately connect yourself with, well, I want to be close to God. You want that. And yet, where do you decide, was that God or was that not God? Or yeah. that hazy mm -hmm. situation, yeah. which... Everyone has faced right at some point, but or will face mm -hmm. um, when they believe in something. Yeah, especially um, and then people have a way of getting in on that, and it's like a slight manipulation. Mm -hmm. 
you know? I, it can be for sure. And I think, um, so that's what, okay. So when you, the human, sorry, I was just, yeah, the human program of the Mormon church, the organization in so many ways is brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's so brilliant. Visiting teaching, which is now called ministering or home teaching. It's ministering. Or, I've, I've heard of that where, where people go to your house and help yeah, you and stuff. You're given a calling to go and minister to two or three or four people in the ward okay. in, in, your, in your neighborhood or district boundaries, kind of like your area. And so everyone in the ward is accounted for. Right. Which, which is, which it's brilliant. It's amazing. If we did that as a city, it I would know. be amazing. It would be freaking like right. less divorce rates. Right. You could connect people with other people easily. Yes. The friends I've made through a visiting teaching, I can't call it that because I haven't done ministering because I left before that. Right. But are amazing. <laughs> like I, I really have had so many great connections and deep friendships through that because you get together, you talk about deep stuff. Right. Okay. So I just got a word. It's like isolation, reverse isolation. Yeah. This, our culture suffers from isolation. True. True. As much yeah. as we are out there on Instagram and whatnot, it's isolation yeah. is the problem. So yeah, I do agree with that. It's like we could. I interacted with people I never would have followed on social media. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, right? I was like visiting old women or like people that I thought were like in huge poverty. People I would never wouldn't have like met on the street and said, "Hey, let's hang out." You know? Yeah. But I was in their home being their friend, and so the growth from that was huge. And I, I definitely, um, like have a testimony of that. <laughs> it's, it's real. It's real. The it's organization of the church real. has so many brilliant things. And I absolutely was in. Like, I loved it. I loved it. Um, when I went to be, to be released from my calling as a president of Relief Society, my bishop and I sat down. And the bishop is sometimes considered the father of the ward. And so since the Relief Society president is over all the women – she should be called the mother of the ward, and sometimes she is. In that relationship, the bishop and the Relief Society president should be, in my opinion, equal. presiding and equal over the ward. But they're not because the bishop has the priesthood, so he has all the accountability and all the decision-making power, and he is in charge. And it is fully like the woman does not have power. Mm. And I always felt like I had influence and power as the president until the very end when I went to get released. And I realized that all this amazing information that I had gathered over the past few years that I felt like was so, so instrumental in like keeping the ward moving forward and it needed to be passed on. It was super important because I had invested so much. And the bishop was like, thank you. You've done such a good job. And I just felt like I was squashed, deflated. Right. I did not feel like he wanted to learn everything from me that I had to offer. And he was a good, good man. Mm-hmm. Nothing against my bishop. He was fabulous. He did everything he was supposed to do. And he treated me very, very kindly and respectfully the whole time. But the organization of the church. It's a systematic. It is a patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And no matter how you, you look at it, it doesn't empower women equally. And that just hit home for the first time in a really personal way for me. That, I mean, the church has so many arguments. I could talk forever about why that's the way it's supposed to be, why that, that that's God's way, why God makes gives the men this authority and responsibility so that he they can, you know, like I don't know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Have, have this um, stewardship over people and help them. Right. It gives them the responsibility and it helps. There's dumb things like women are more spiritual, so the men have to have responsibility, so they'll stay spiritual. You know, like there's all these things that people say that aren't really doctrine, but things I I really clung on to, clung on to as like that must be, that must be why the men have priesthood and the women don't. You know, right? It's it's and especially being raised in it. You know, yeah, you there's really so many underlying things that we all believe mm-hmm. that are just not true. Yeah, or that we don't see. Yeah. Period. Yeah. So okay, so you um. So now I have this serious personal interaction with feminism that hit home so much that now I have this other thing on my Mormon shelf that's getting weighed down of like, I can't take the racism. I can't take the homosexuality issue. I can't take the gender inequality. It's, it's just too much. Um, but I was still hanging on. Yeah. And we, we came here to 
Portland. We decided to move here because of Paul's family being here. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Would you say that when you say you're holding holding on strong, like would you looking back right now, would you say you were holding on to God or were you holding on to the religion? Because if you had to like choose, well, God was always first. Okay, God was always first. Yeah, um, but God for to me was the Mormon God. It was tied up together so much that I didn't have a differentiation for that, you know? Right. God meant keep all these covenants, do all these things, be all these things, be, you know, be a perfect, obedient person, <laughs> yeah. fit in this box, and then God will love you. But do you think that the God that you got to know was that God in a personal way? Yeah, that's who I thought God was. Okay, but in a personal way, you felt like that was all intertwining absolutely okay got absolutely it. Got it. Okay. so I felt like if I left the Mormon church I'd be leaving God got it yeah yeah so and like in my own faith I feel like same thing in the sense of I was always more um I came from a more of a relationship base so my family was was very uh, they were Christian but they I think were Christian in some areas that I was more or kind of more just different, you know? And so I kind of did a lot of exploring eventually more on my own. It didn't always match up with what was going on at home. Mm -hmm. You see? So, so, but, but the church though, oh, you can't go to, you can't go to Haiti because you've, you, you're partying at clubs and that's just not what we want to be representing in Haiti. Well, what was really going on was, is I was figuring out, I felt God all along in that, you know, I was just like, this isn't God. This isn't the God that I know. So mine was more, um, fighting my relationship with the God against what the church was telling me mm -hmm. from the very start. So that's mm -hmm. why I'm asking you, like your relationship with God was that. So my relationship wasn't tied to the church. Okay. Mine was. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's the difference. I think in, so, yeah. I think maybe. I don't know. Um, okay, so you... I was taught the Mormon way to pray, the Mormon way to repent, the Mormon way to find God. And so I didn't know another way. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. and God can use anything. What about yeah. that? Yeah, I, and the Mormon religion teaches that too. Like You can pray in your closet, pray anywhere. God speaks to us all through different people and all different ways you know we yeah. just reach out whenever you can he's there for you you know that's yeah. that's a mormon teaching so right okay so um so back to the you got squashed royally squashed i felt so yeah so i said i needed to take a little break so we moved to portland and i didn't vie for a calling i was like i'm gonna lay low people yeah yeah <laughs> but we jumped right to a church right into a ward, yeah. Okay, into a ward, right. Yeah, so we jumped right into the ward making friends real fast, you know. Um, you know you have a friend base everywhere you go yeah. if you're Mormon because the group is so, so welcoming and you know you go to Relief Society immediately. Those people, those women are going to love you. Right. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that is nice. You should have yeah. that, like, everywhere. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. You can go to Paris, not speak the language, and still know you have a group of women that you can turn to if you need help and that you can have a friend yeah that's pretty amazing so um I was kind of laying low calling wise but Paul wasn't we got here to Portland and he got called to be a seminary teacher for the youth so which means he'd wake up early every morning of the week go to the high school and teach the youth for an hour every morning <clears throat> and he was also practicing he's a he's he a dermatologist and yeah. he we had we bought a practice as soon as we moved here. Then we bought another practice. And that first year, I think we just had one, maybe two. <laughs> I can't remember when we bought a second practice. But um, but he was very, very busy. And, and you know, starting with all new employees, figuring out the whole lay of the land, all that stuff, and teaching seminary. So he taught Old Testament in Michigan for two years and then – New Testament in Michigan, and then the Book of Mormon here, and the second year here was Doctrine and Covenants. So four full full years of teaching seminary. In the fourth year, when he was teaching DNC, 
The Doctrine and Covenants is a book of revelation given to Joseph Smith. Okay. And he, he basically wrote it as his revelation from God and it's instruction to the early Mormon saints, early church. And at BYU, I had taken a class on the Doctrine and Covenants. And at first, I was just rigorous and so eager, and I wrote notes on every single margin and just wanted to know all the stories. And about halfway through the class, my brain turned off, and I stopped writing in my journal. I couldn't focus. I couldn't listen anymore. I couldn't hear the stories. I, couldn't, I just like barely passed the class. And I didn't ever really dig into why. I thought, I just I just must have, um, I don't know, been interested in boys or something. I just let it go. Yeah, and so wait, wait, wait when was that again? At BYU. At BYU, okay, got it. Yeah, it was a required class at BYU. Okay. So, um, but now that Paul's teaching it, I had to reface it. Ah, there we go. Okay. So I was looking at it, and I thought, oh, it's the perfect thing. Paul and I will be reading it together I'll I'll stop hating it so much. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but it, it just kind of got harder and harder. And in the DNC is when a lot of the more difficult early church history doctrines and stuff and, and early things that feel like were done wrong in the early church have to be addressed in those, in those chapters oh, yeah. when you're teaching the youth. And so... I felt so uncomfortable. And as we studied it together, I was like, I can't teach this. I absolutely don't believe this stuff. And about that time, I met a wonderful woman named Karen Pixton. Car- wait, wait. Karen. Karen. Okay, that's a pretty name. And she's a woman that is Mormon um, and a very faithful, devout, wonderful Mormon, but super progressive. And she, we, she and I became really close friends, and she helped me to to have a female role model in the church that I totally admired. Mm-hmm. And she was a woman that attended a lot of Sunstone magazine meetings throughout her whole life with her husband, which is a kind of like the intellectual group of, of Mormons that meet and discuss kind of the hard topics, mm-hmm. but stay committed to their religion, mm-hmm. even though it, some of these things create divides and, and are uncomfortable or hard to process or hard to believe maybe. So she had been in this crowd, and I just loved that she had this sense of peace about the things that had sort of a dual nature to me or incongruities, you know. Yeah, right. She could have peace about it. She could say, I focus on the good, I focus on what brings me joy, and I focus on Christ. And she always said, love is the answer, what is the question? So just she had such a beautiful, wait, love love is the answer, what is the question? Oh, my gosh. Right? That, okay, can we get that blown up here? I know. Okay, amen. Maybe that's my next tattoo, my only tattoo. <laughs> I know, right? I know. <laughs> I know. That's all I need right there. She just changed me so much yeah. to have mm. acceptance for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. In and out of the church, too, and to have a more open mind in yeah. general. So <clears throat> she recommended some books for me. And one of the book books is called The Giant Joshua, and it's about polygamy in the early church. Okay. <laughs> and it's, it's a story about um, the, some of the polygamous families in St. George, Utah. And I was super interested to read it because I have family down there, and I've always wanted to move to St. George. <laughs> it seems like, like this dreamy place. So I read this book voraciously and just got the, just the most awful vile <laughs> yeah. um, understanding of what polygamy was like for a lot of people. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Diane wrote, she compiled five volumes, inch and a half thick volumes, what? eight and a half by 11, like books that she had printed of my family history, just on my dad's side. Wow. And there are stories of polygamy. And she gave them to mm-hmm. all of the grandkids for Christmas. as like this huge gift. And I started reading some of them. About the time that I read the giant Joshua about polygamy too, so polygamy was like a, a big like that's what DNC is about at the end too. It's like early church history and about polygamy, and so I had never ever liked that the church did polygamy. I knew it was something that. Wait, so the church does believe in polygamy? So, but the, the woman that was did the Jesus like love answer, you know? Yeah, our, our Karen, tattoo, our future tattoo, Karen. Yeah. <laughs> um, she she believed in polygamy. No. What was she no. showing you through that? Like she showed me that there are gray areas, and okay. there's good, 
and bad. And it's okay to not believe everything. Got it. I believe that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And up to that point, I had felt like you follow the prophet, you obey, obey and believe everything or you, there's no place. Got it. But with Car and I started to see that that gray area was okay. Ah, got it. Okay. And so I started to be more authentic and what I, and admitting, okay, I really, really can't accept polygamy. Mm-hmm. I've always had it as this thing I hate, but I'm not going to talk about it or bring it up or like address it. But all of a sudden, it's really present. It's it's bearing on me. It is a huge weight to carry right now because I'm reading these family history stories. I read this book. My husband's teaching it to the youth. I know I'm going to have my kids going to this seminary class learning that this is God's way. Ugh. In the heavens, in eternity, men will have more than one wife. And I started to just say, F that. I won't take yeah, it. Yeah. I won't take it. <laughs> right. You're a generational breaker. Yeah. it got. No I got so angry over that time that I said, I just, Paul, this is my breaking point. Wow. This is it. I can't do it anymore. I won't teach my daughter that she is going to have to have a sister wife in heaven. In one conversation Paul and I had one time, he said, what did you want to be when you grew up, like deeply? What was your biggest desire? And at the moment, this was really deep on my mind at the time, and I said, Paul, I just did not want to be a second wife. Wow. Isn't that a disgusting thought that you, that a young child is thinking, I want to be the first because I don't want to be that second rate. So now I'm faced with this, like, you're second rate as a woman, and you're second rate because your husband can have more than one wife. Talk about a squash. I was like, I can't do it. I'm sorry. That's too much for a, for a woman to carry. It might be fine for a man to be in the Mormon church. Yeah. But I don't. I won't give that to my daughter. So that was that was it. I said it was last November when I finally just said I'm not going anymore because that happened in 2017. Not that all of 2018 was just this year of like, can I do it? Can I can I do, can I dare leave? Can I do it? And I was listening to Mormon Stories podcasts all the time and reading more and more books and letting myself be authentic about how I felt and, and not lying to myself anymore about it. And finally, last November in 2018, I said, this is my last day at church. I, I can't come back. So it's... So this was in November 2018. It's 2019 now. So mm-hmm. you're not even a year out. Yeah. You're not a year out. And that was the breaking point. So what about Paul? Like, what, what was he like when you said no? What was that like? Well, Paul's a whole, Paul's a whole other that, story. But, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. he's had his own journey and he's had his own things that broke his shelf. Right. And it's, it's been a, um, a process because the things that bugged me didn't bug him as much. Okay. But all along, he's, I felt like he was living hypocritically from like 2006. You know? Right. <laughs> because he could live with like living this action and doing this thing, but not believing it in his home. Right. And that okay, that gray area for him was okay, but for me, I was always like, "That's dividing us. We're never going to be an eternal family," you know. Yeah. And so finally, we've been able to say authentically, we both don't really believe these aspects, and what do we believe? So, like in a way, you both came to a different, like, so he, is he not? He's not yeah, in it either. He's not going anywhere okay, either. So, how long after you were like done? Was he like done? Or was he done? Or He like, kept it... going with the kids for a couple of weeks. Okay. And I would go with him. I went with him through October and like through the fall because he didn't want to go alone. And we weren't ready to tell the kids that I was done. Yeah. Um, so he was okay with you being done, but he was like, well, I'm going to keep going. Was he kind of in crisis too, I guess? Mm-hmm. It's just kind of limbo. Yes. And he was, we both were like, what do we do with the kids? Because we felt like you have to raise them with these this structure and this formality. And like, what happens if we take that away? Do they all just start sinning and going off at the deep, deep right. end? And it's a crisis. Have, have nowhere to place their foundation. And we knew it was going to rock our oldest son because he's been baptized and he's about to get the priesthood. And he's, his formula has been taught to him. So it, we indoctrinated the crap out of him. <laughs> oh, wow. You know? Yeah. So rug swept out from under his feet. Like, yeah, he really has had struggle. He has had a hard time. What else, you know, what can you expect? I know. So, but. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, so the last six months have been us grappling with how, how do, where do we put our principles? Where do we 
ground ourselves. And what do we believe? Yeah. And then how do we raise our kids with that so that we so that they don't feel in commotion, you know? Right. So we've come a long way into figuring out a comfort level with that. Yeah. But that is the new that is the new challenge right now. That's what right. I'm doing. That's the new challenge. Mm-hmm. So what about your family like your your parents and all that? Like yeah. is it a fallout there or Oh man. I'm lucky in my family that my brother who's my youngest of the six He's siblings. He's the one that lives with you, right? Yeah. Right? Okay. And he so lives here in guy. Portland. Oh, He's okay. He's a super sweet guy. Okay. So. But he, he he paved the path for <laughs> leaving Mormonism at age 14. Okay. Oh, okay. So he was yeah. at Mormon. He said, I, I'm not doing this. Okay. At, at 14. Yeah. Wow. The rest of us were still going at that point and doing our best to be good Mormons. Wait, so he was the youngest of the six? Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. So yep. he at 14 was like, no. Nah. Yeah. And he went ahead and did all the stuff you're not supposed to do as a Mormon. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he broke my parents in. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So yeah. Paved the way. Yeah. Black sheep. Sometimes the black yep. sheep knows, you know. Yeah. Then my brother, who's the youngest, the oldest of the three brothers, he left. Um, okay. And didn't go on a mission. Then my middle brother went on a mission, had a huge faith crisis on the mission oh. and came home a wreck. And he's not functioning still as a an adult he's having a really hard time with life i think personally it has a lot to do with the mormon faith crisis yeah that he can't get through so it really hurts my heart um my other sister has had huge fallout too um and so she doesn't go to church anymore they're all deeply spiritual people besides maybe davy who could take her leave spirituality but the others are Oh, and Michael, who's the youngest, who thinks it's all nonsense. Okay, so he's <laughs> so just to like, clarify. He's just like nothing. Like, nothing. He's just like nothing. He thinks everything about religion of all types is nonsense. Okay, so what about just like faith but not religion? No faith. Okay. He's a scientist. He just, okay. that's all nonsense. It's all myth for him. Okay. So, yeah. but what are your parents? Like, they're like. My parents are diehard, true-believing Mormons. Okay, so they think you're in the wrong. They do. Okay. Oh, yeah. So it's, so it's hard for them to see me go off, off the deep end is what Mormons say and believe, go apostate, do something else. You can be excommunicated for apostasy. So do you, to permanently leave, what is, I don't know what that is. What is that? Apostasy is, um, just not believing. Excommunication is when your records are removed from the names of the church. And then that means in Mormon language that you're not on God's list anymore oh, for salvation excommunication you're like oh okay okay yeah that's it's serious that's serious it's serious for my parents and it's a deep deep betrayal and it's not only a betrayal to my parents but to my ancestors who crossed the plains to give me my religious freedom so it's truly like so much weight at the same time i i feel like it's a revolution in the mormon church that we have the internet now and we have ex-Mormon Reddit and we have Mormon stories and we have all these groups that are now converging, coming together and saying, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. It just doesn't add up. We need to support each other because we're good people. We don't, you know, people, we should, we can't get lost. We, we want this community still, but we can't keep doing this. I think the numbers show that the church is falling apart it does. and declining. Mormons won't say that. Because it can be spun lots of ways, but it's it doesn't look good. But Paul's family has five siblings. Where does he fit in? He's the second to youngest. Okay. And they just took him on a retreat to do a whole intervention to help him come back to church because they feel like he's really messing up. So it's a... Where do they... So where your parents still live in Utah? Yeah. And his parents live in... Um, here. Okay, they live here. So... Mm-hmm. So, so they had a big family yeah. reunion with just siblings oh, and mom okay. to do this intervention. They will not call it that. Of course, of course. It was just a birthday party celebration, but they're all worried about Paul. They're not worried about you? Well, they, they think I'm the, black, the one that pulled him away. They think I'm the bad influence. Oh, ouch. <laughs> well, you know what? You got that little girl, that uh-huh. little Junie girl, mm-hmm. and she's great motivation, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would make enough to be like, yep, see ya, peace yeah. out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, having your family ripped out from under you, I mean, it's whether, whether you decide to look at it or not, it's a faith step, either it's a faith step, it's mm-hmm. a step into something. It is. It you is. Ha- it's a faith step of knowing that whatever you believed is not working out and you're f- jumping into another, like a new faith of mm-hmm. like, I mean, what if it turns into like, you know, the Jesus aspect or, you know, mm-hmm. things get settled down and it just becomes about that. Well, I had people over to my house to tell me about Christianity two nights ago. What about just Jesus though? Who yeah, made? that's what, that's what that was. That was like, just accept Jesus, just accept Jesus, you know? And I, I'm still like, what does that mean? So I I'm know, exploring that. It, what I, does it mean? You know what? And I, oh gosh, I just hit something. I want to know like, in a year where I land, where you, where, where your mind goes. I would love to know that because for people that have always had faith, like, like with my kids, with my kids, um, you know, I struggle with, um, I've recently was like, you know, we, I love the church that, um, we go to, but I'm just not really like a churchy person. Um, I like the idea of, you know, helping people and get community for sure. Community mm-hmm. to me is church. Mm-hmm. Um, helping people, being together, suffering together, better together, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, 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 I really have a hard time with just Christianology, mm-hmm. which is terms and, 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 and words that don't, um, that just, it, they call it Christianese, where it's just words and this and that, and it becomes like, you know, for my son who's black and white, those terms he clings to, mm-hmm. you know, and then he acts his life out that way. Mm-hmm. My daughter, she is very internal spiritual. So I felt like, I feel like now I'm, I've just, all of a sudden I just started fading out. Like Brian wasn't really motivated to go to church. I like Joey going to, you know, seeing friends, meeting friends that are, have good, you know, morals and stuff like that. But I was like feeling like I'm, I'm not, my kids are not seeing something that is I want them to know explore for themselves Mm -hmm. truth Mm -hmm. their truth because it could all lead to Jesus Mm -hmm. and I do think it does and I do think it does but their way is going to be different and I want to respect that yeah but I also want to encourage it so by going to like stale church and in my in my perception I it might be really good for them Mm -hmm. but I want to switch it up yeah. And be like, you know what? All experiences, cultural, religious yeah. diversity, because that's the advantage of living in this world right now. We have so much influence. We do. And since I've been more open after leaving the church and I'm just desperate for like, where am I going to land? You know, I've been looking everywhere. I, I read the Sapiens book. If you guys, if you've read that. It's no, I'm not. Super good. Um, about how humans developed from the beginning of like from Denisovians and Neanderthals, you know, like why did we become what we are? And yeah. So where do we come from? The science background and the basis of human humans as a species, that's become super fascinating to me. Yeah. And maybe I'm just a scientist. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I think science plays a huge role. Yeah. I think God can use science though. Absolutely. Yep. But I will say, in the years that I've had faith, I can tell you that through the years, it's been more um, a simplifying, taking away the religiosity, taking away layers and layers and layers and layers and layers and getting to the absolute bottom truth. And it is quite simple. And what you said, in my opinion, love mm-hmm. is the answer. Is the answer. I agree with that. And the to me what does love represent what is the ultimate love what was the ultimate love to ever exist that's the question that is the question that's the question because how would we even know how to love if we don't know where love was from mm-hmm. and um so with my kids it's like um like i could just cry thinking about it because it's like I just want them so bad to know why they're why they're here and what their purpose is and that it's so much not what the world says 
you know, it's actually quite simple, like loving and breaking that down. Where does that come from? Where is that like, you know, and making it more authentic and real, not, um, well, I'm doing this because this says to do this. I'm a good person because of this. No, you know what love is. You are that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my sister was studying the Bhagavad Gita and she said that it says in there that, um, God is infinite and eternal. And if he's infinite and eternal, then there's no place and no time that he is not. Mm-hmm. Which means that there is no way that you can exist or I can exist outside of God. Mm-hmm. So the rationale is that we are all part of God. Mm-hmm. So it's all we're all one. Yes. And and I've always liked the idea of the spirit being light or being energy. Mm-hmm. And if we're all flowing like energy and we're letting that light or spirit flow through us, then we're enlightened. Mm-hmm. Or becoming more or greater, part of the bigger love, which mm-hmm. is spirit, mm-hmm. or whatever it is that's creation. You yeah. Know? So that's that's the only thing that I find is true. It's love, spirit, energy, life force, mother nature, <laughs> mother yeah. earth kind of thing. Yeah. I can I can bind all that pretty well. Anything beyond that gets to me like human construct myth yeah and, and rightfully so yeah so and there may be a day when i i yeah. really grab back on to to christ and christianity and i'm open as can be i right. want it to like sink into my heart and be real totally i'm reading st- books about it, i'm reading the bible like I, I want it to be real i just i've become cynical and feel skeptical you know what god so. bless it <laughs> yeah that's where you need to be yeah, right now. That's where you need to be. I mean, for someone who, say, loses a kid, mm-hmm. what, skip over that? Skip over the pain of that? No. Mm-mm. No. I mean... Pain is for benefit and growth. Yeah. But I do think it's going to be... I think, I like, like in the future, I think that you will come full circle and what, whatever you come to full circle about in the sense of just, like, you're going to come to a place where things make more sense to you. And you'll be able to piece it out better. But in that, I think there'll be like a revolution in you, you know? Yeah. I'll be excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Like, (laughs) it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, anyway. Well, um, so like in a year. Sure. We we should get back together (laughs) and just catch up. Not that, no, no, we we catch up outside of this podcast. But I mean, just Mm -hmm. like on this topic, per se. Um, what you've learned from your book reading and just like people you've run into and yeah um, you know you were telling me in the hallway um, there was a woman who was very going very sick right and no one was really helping her is that was that what was going on with that oh uh, is that something you it's Karen oh no she had a stroke and then her daughter has brain cancer oh Jeez. So she's in surgery right now. She's in surgery right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that was news. Yeah. That's news. Oh yeah. my goodness. Okay. Well. Yeah. We'll it's keep just. That. It's a huge, huge tragedy. It's a lot yeah. for a family to bear. Yeah. Yeah. So you're dealing with that too. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a lot. Okay. Yeah. Well. Well. Anyway, Melody, I just um, I appreciate you being vulnerable with me. And all these listeners, just to yeah. hear your your path, and um, you're just a you are a um, a mover and a shaker in the sense of just like it's. I love someone who can stand true to what they believe, mm-hmm. you know, and stay true to that. So yeah. that's pretty cool that you're on that path. Well, Mormonism taught me to have integrity, and even though that integrity has taken me away from Mormonism, <laughs> which is ironic yeah but i believe so much of what i was taught in mormonism as truth you know yeah as the gospel and being honest is it's one of those things and so i feel like humans progress we evolve mm-hmm. and mormonism will evolve and it's been a good thing for a lot of people for a lot of years yeah and i feel like we just need to help each other as we as people transition and as faith changes for everyone as, as people's faith changes. As people's faith changes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, well, thank you for listening. And um, 
if the time comes where we get together, well, I hope to see you again on this topic of life. Yeah. All right. See you later. Bye-bye. You've been listening to This Topic of Life with Tiffany Murphy. Available through Podbean, iTunes, and Google Play. Look for us on Instagram and Facebook. Donations to help support This Topic of Life can be made through Patreon at patreon.com front slash thistopicallife. Likes and comments are always appreciated. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time for more real conversation, real exploration, real life stories on This Topic of Life. Because life ain't a vacation.